And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Today we are answering difficult questions about the COVID-19 virus. We are joined by a world expert scientist on nanotechnology, Dr. Matthew Whiteside. I have with me a very special guest, uh, Dr. Matthew Whiteside. Dr. Whiteside is not only a faculty member at Crown College, he's dean of our science department, and he's uh, a, a personal friend and uh, I think a valiant Christian. I won't let him tell some of his story. Uh, I thought about him having come in his white coat, but the fact of the matter is he's here with me today to answer some questions. And um, Matthew, why don't we just begin by telling the people where, where you were born and where you grew up, and yes, we'll, we'll get into a lot of things, so short answers may be better. I just wanted to know who you are. Yes, sir, absolutely. I was born in Arkansas. I was the son of a would-be farmer, and uh, my father in his 40s decided that he did not want to work in a factory any longer. He wanted to provide better for his family, and he went back to school. Uh, he got a degree in engineering, and by the end of his career, he worked life. his way all the way high up into NASA. So I grew up with an engineer father that got me interested in answering a lot of questions in this world. I was uh, born in Arkansas. I uh, got into science at a very young age. I graduated from Arkansas State University with a bachelor's of science, uh, graduated magnum cum laude, uh, with my emphasis all in nanotechnology, which I have worked on for the past almost 20 years now. Um, I've published many research papers uh, on that topic, especially from my graduate work, where I got a PhD from the University of California, Irvine, uh, in chemical ecology. So I took the knowledge of chemistry and nanotechnology, and I started applying it to many different fields, including the medical fields, um, the agriculture fields, uh, and many fields of ecology and biology. I own uh, many patents, or a few patents in, in those, those fields, using a technology called quantum dots, um, also, from my PhD work, I published uh, every single chapter of my thesis, which, uh, which was a great honor back then. They now call me a, a world expert in nanotechnology and nanoscience. Uh, even sometimes when I'm at uh, conferences with science, they'll walk up and say, hey, are you the quantum dot guy? And so I've somehow built a name for that, um, but mostly it was just out of, out of a passion for wanting to know and seek mm -hmm. the truth. Um, which eventually the Lord caught me and led me into Christianity because I wanted to know what that truth was. How did you come to know the Lord as your Savior? Well, Pastor, I had a position. I was working in the Netherlands at the University of Amsterdam uh, in collaboration with the Free University. Uh, I had what's called a, a pulmonary embolism in both lungs. I collapsed in a street. I woke up in a hospital, and uh, the doctor said, you know, you shouldn't be here. Uh, a lot of people don't make it back from this. And I sat there in that hospital bed. I would have told you a day before that I did not believe in, in your God. Um, but I thought, what would have happened if I did die that day? And all of a sudden, a lot of uh, truth came to me. And a young woman that had witnessed to me 13 years prior had given me the gospel. A scientist, a chemist, had given me the gospel. And when I threw my hands in the air and prayed to God, I said, if you're real, just be real to me. Uh, the gospel is what I remembered, her, her voice telling me how to be saved. And I got saved right there in that hospital. Well, you told me, of course, too, that you'd given that girl quite a hard time. 
I did. <laughs> yes, sir. I uh, gave her a very hard time. I told her that um, there was a time when she was in a study group with other Christians, and they would hold hands and pray for these study groups. And, and um, as a bully and non-believing Christian or non, non-Christian would do, I, I would make fun of her. And I'd make fun of her friends, telling her that there was no God. Uh, she was believing in nothing. Uh, but now, she's you're still one of those people, uh, early in life, you may have made some sort of profession, or, but you'd come full circle to believe that you were truly atheistic. Yes, sir, that's correct. Um, you know, atheism is a funny thing because I believe that there's not a single person in the world that truly believes that they, that they are an atheist. They, they will say that they don't believe in a God, but they believe in the God of science. Even Einstein said, I do not believe in your God, but I believe in the God of science, meaning that he believed in processes and, and other things. Um, you know, but the Bible clearly states that if anyone can see nature and knows nature, you know that there's a God and a design behind these things. Well, now, how in this world did you get involved? There's sort of, you're sort of in a science family. Yes, sir. Uh, some of the connections you, you've had. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, of my parents' four children, three of us are PhDs. Uh, what, ranging in wide things, my sister has a PhD in vaccinations, believe it or not. <laughs> Another sister has a PhD in geology. She's, at the, um, she's in Southampton, England. Um, her twin, who has the PhD in and uh, nursing and vaccinations uh, of all things is in Alaska and my PhD is in uh, chemical ecology and I'm here in Knoxville, Tennessee and praise the Lord for it. Yeah. The greatest of those three. Yeah. <laughs> in- interesting. Some of your family, one relative is married to the son or someone of a famous scientist? Or? Oh yes, my sister Jessica uh, Whiteside, she, uh, Carl Sagan had married Lynn Margulis, two very famous scientists. Many people know the names. Uh, Lynn Margulis and Carl Sagan, and in a common law marriage, yes, for uh, more than a decade, my sister was with Dorian Sagan, who is the son of Carl Sagan and uh, Lynn Margulis. It was actually Lynn Margulis that inspired me uh, to quit seeking the medical field, which I originally was going to go into and become a scientist. It was at her house that I made that decision. So what are some of the interesting things you've had an opportunity to research? Like, for instance, when you were in the Netherlands, uh, some of the things that interested you Absolutely. You know, one thing that has always interested me is symbiosis in nature. Um, And by that, I mean there's organisms that work uh, in ecology and in biology that are completely unrelated, like the fungus on the bottom of a tree. So if you you pulled a plant out of the ground, you would look at its roots and you would call those roots. But it turns out the majority of that root system is not a plant. It's a fungus doing the work for the plant. And I always thought to myself uh, of this underground system like a, like a exchange market. For instance, that, that fungus is mining the soil for nutrients, and it's giving it to the plant in exchange for carbon. And I thought, well, I wonder if nature functions as a capitalist or is nature a socialist? And so a recent paper is actually published last year is on the cover of Current Biology. You can be a Christian and still be a very good scientist. Uh, they put it on the cover of Current Biology, and uh, I had just shown in a system that nature functions as capitalist and uh, the socialists quit working in that system. <laughs> I was in the Netherlands when I figured this out and they said, oh, we better try that again. So we did it in a second system and got the same results. Now, <laughs> when you finally had God leading you to be here with us, oh, yes, sir. you and I talked about all of that and about your experience with God and how you came to the Lord as your Savior. Yes, sir. The fact of the matter is... Um, I, I, maybe you won't want to say this, but when you came to Knoxville, Tennessee and, uh, and became an employee of Crown College, the University of Tennessee was looking for you for something. What they wanted you 
they wanted you to talk about something. They found you and you were here. Correct. So what, what was that? They wanted you to talk about something you had discovered. Right. Yes, sir. Um, it was along these same lines. I've been working with that technology a long time. And, uh, you know, I had just published a few papers, uh, uh, very successful at publishing papers, are always very widely received. Um, this is based on other people's uh, uh, citations of those papers, not my own words. And, yes, when I got here, uh, a colleague of mine and a few other people from the University of Tennessee had heard about a new technology and software that I had written, and they came seeking it, and they found out that I was right here in Knoxville, Tennessee, working at the, the Crown College, and praise the Lord for it. Would you call yourself a nanoscientist? What, what does that mean? Oh, yes, sir. It just means that the knowledge of nano. So what, a nano means it's a billionth of a meter. Just think about that for a second. You have a meter stick and add nine zeros to it to get down to the billionth of a meter. That's a thousand millions. And so it's someone that works on the knowledge of what happens on a nanoscale. Now the discussion we're gonna have opens us up to hard criticism. And uh, the fact of the matter is, anyone who's been genuinely affected by the COVID-19 virus, and some so severely that it's taken the lives of their loved ones. Unfortunately. Um, so it is real. There is something happening out there. But we're dealing with people trying to get people back into God's work, back not just to where they were, but beyond where we were. I think it's almost like a, a, a resetting, um, a new beginning. Yes, sir. Um, a purging so that we can have a better foundation. Praise the Lord, yes. And then what, of course, you've been here and heard what's going on here and you're actively involved in the Temple Baptist Church and we appreciate that so very much. But I'm going to ask you just some questions uh, that some of the men may be asking just on this particular field that's a little different from where we've normally been. I'm going to get back to the shepherd and the sheep on the next time we're together. Yes, sir. But I'm going to ask these questions. I brought them here along. And first, will the COVID vaccine contain nanoparticles and what are the implications of this? Um, yes, sir. That's, that's an excellent question. I've been asked this actually. I want you to answer these to, people who are joining us. I've been asked this probably close to a dozen times, mostly because this is my field of expertise. And in 2019, uh, a group from MIT, uh, McHugh and others, I would write this down if I were you all. It's McHugh, M-C-H-U-G-H, et al., 2019. And this is a very significant manuscript that they published. And the reason it is so significant, once again, that's McHugh, McHugh, M-C-H-U-G-H, et al., E-T-A-L, period, 2019. Please look this manuscript up. The reason it is so, so well-received by the general world is they figured out a way using none other than nanotechnology, including quantum dots, which I am a world expert in, to track um, vaccines that have been administered to people using a mark that can be fluorescently visually seen uh, under UV light. And uh, basically what they have done is they've figured out a way that if you are administered a vaccine, they can prove that you were given that vaccine um, by simply having a mark on the area that they've been injected. You know, Matthew, really, this sounds like some science fiction flick or something, you know? You know, it, it does. Uh, how does that work? Yes, sir. You mean so they actually put nanoparticles 
in the vaccine, the actual vaccine, that stay in your body? That is correct. So the vaccine device itself, which would be made up of a patch with four needles in it, which would administer vaccine, would also along with it be putting nanoparticles into your body. Keep in mind, this isn't just a concept at this point. They have done it in uh, cadaver tissue and the nanoparticles to date have lasted longer than five years in UV light. So sitting in the sun, they've lasted longer than five years. Um, this is something that more and more people are talking about because they're wanting to require vaccinations, but how do you make sure that someone truly got that vaccination? This would be a mark on your skin um, to prove that you had been administered the vaccination. So let's say for instance, a university like the University of Tennessee would say, you can't come here Correct. unless you're vaccinated. They have some way to read that, that particle in your body they have made it so simple that they have altered their cell phones to read it on someone's body. So you can get a vaccine. Yes, sir. Of course, this could be in any vaccine. Any vaccine. They've sure. already, they already have it in the major ones, the ones that you would give a baby. They've already put this in, in the major vaccines. It hasn't been administered um, by the FDA to the children yet, but the vaccine has already been prepared. Well, how does a Christian knowing prophetic things. Yes, sir. Now this is for sometimes a, a, a child, a small child, they inadvertently or, or um, unknowingly yes, sir. receive this. So this, this can't be exactly what we're reading about in prophecy about people choosing to take this mark. But at the same time, the technology is available. Correct. I believe Pastor just like you said a few weeks ago, there is a spirit to all of this. It's not just a physical thing that can take place and the concept has been known. There's a spirit behind it. We're being prepared to accept that this is just something that is a normal day-to-day -day thing. But what comes after that? Once they're able to mark us, what comes after? what's the next step? So we must be very prayerful and pray for discernment and be, be able to discern the spirit of the Antichrist. That's correct. Yes, sir. Yeah. So what type of things could those particles be? Um, the ones they have formed are actually quantum dots. So those are semiconducting nanoparticles. They're a billionth of a meter small. And by that, what I mean is they're little pieces of metal. Yet they fluoresce. I'm going to get sciencey on you just for a moment and you all. They fluoresce under any wavelength of color if you hit them with UV light, including the near-infrared. But what does that mean in, in lay terms? It's easy. You can track something visually by hitting it with a UV light. The reason they're even called quantum dots is they have what's called a quantum yield of about 96%. And what that means is very simple. If you hit it with a UV light or some kind of light source, it'll take that energy and give you 96% of it back as fluorescence. So if you hit it with a UV light, it gives you almost that exact UV light every single nanoparticle does. And keep in mind, there'll be millions of them in you. Every nanoparticle will give you 96% of that energy back as light. It is so bright that you can inject this in the skin of a human or the skin of a rat or even track a tumor cell within a mouse, which is the original projects we were working on, and hit it with a UV light from outside of the skin, and you will see it visually uh, through the skin. These are extremely bright. Why would, why would someone want to be able to recognize these particles? The original paper claims that if you go to a country like Africa, for say, 
There's not mm. a good system of documentation of who has received and who hasn't received their vaccinations. Like we might have gone as children and seen a smallpox vaccination and they know, oh, you've had the vaccination. Correct. Or you would have your vaccination card. But not everyone has that or even has the ability to go back and get that. So this would be a way that you literally carry the information with you through a mark that is embedded in your skin. Well, are, are you, I'm not trying to lead you. I'm just, yes, I'm just want to be as objective as possible. Does this mean that you don't know exactly what they're putting in you? Correct. Uh, I, would, I would argue and I would suggest that each and every one of you ask your doctor for the black label of a vaccination. Because by law, they're required to give it to you. It's called the black label. And the black label is the ingredients that are in that. And they will use a lot of jargon words to confuse you with what those ingredients are. But I assure you, they're very scary. You already don't know what has been injected into your body. But they are things that I assure you, you didn't want in your body to begin with. It was more than a vaccination. So along with the vaccination, they are a, a saying to us, that there's a vaccination for this particular illness or possible disease, but along with that vaccination, there are other things accompanying that vaccination. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. An entire who, who makes the determination what's in the vaccination? The pharmaceutical company that manufactured it would make that determination. Or whoever's paying for it? <laughs> or whoever's paying for it, yes, sir. There are 212 vaccinations for COVID-19 in the world right now. 212. Thank you for joining us on the Baptist Friends Podcast. Dr. Matthew Weissai will continue this discussion on our next episode. Be sure to subscribe today as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.